Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Thank you for joining. So today we're going to talk a little bit about um, the basics of cryptocurrencies. I ended the last session with a question about it and I only got into it for about three or four minutes. Um, so I'm just going to kind of cover that and then I have a really great interview which sort of uh, I wanted uh, you guys to listen to us to listen to together which sort of ties together a lot of the things that are going on. Um, in the global markets in the globe in the world uh, regarding Russia China and the financial um, ties that tie uh, Russia China India and all these other countries together and how they're exchanging money and how the dollar and the US economy might be affected so um, you know I'm gonna go ahead and get started so uh, the first thing I wanted to say about cryptocurrencies is one, we're just going to try to um, demystify some of the jargon. And what I mentioned last time is that there's one big word that's out there that you kind of have to know, and that's blockchain. So before block before you can get to cryptocurrencies, you have to understand that blockchain is a type of technology. It's a type of database, and it's known as a um, as it's known as a chain uh, of blocks. That's why it's called blockchain. And each block is a section of data and uh, it's called a ledger. So what a ledger does is it records um, things on, uh, on, 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 uh, in a booklet. And what happens with the blockchain is that basically a ledger is opened and then data is written to it. And then once the data is recorded, the ledger then uh, closes. It could be the size of a megabyte, a megabyte. It could be the size of 32 megabytes. It could be much, much bigger. And uh, once the data is recorded, it opens another cha chain. So it's almost like keeping journal, keeping a journal entry in accounting, where you account for one month and then you close the month, you close the books, and then you open the next month, and then you open the next month, and you know you can go back years and see what's happened in each month. So the blockchain is a type of technology. It's like an Oracle database, and some blockchains can be global, which is uh, the mention of Bitcoin. And some blockchains are private, so the passport office can have its blockchain, can go to blockchain technology, or AT&T can use blockchain technology for its, um, for its uh, customer records. Uh, where I work at PG&E, we have a blockchain project where we're looking at, um, you know, we, we deal with greenhouse gases and we deal with car emissions. So the California Air Resources Board is looking at a blockchain project to look at how much emissions are coming out of cars each month and how many electric cars there are in the state each month. You know, it's an electrification project for climate change. So I'm working on that. So going back to blockchain, you know, you could have private blockchains in a company and you could have uh, public blockchains. Um, and so, so that's where um, blockchain is the technology that made something like Bitcoin possible. And Bitcoin is actually a global blockchain. It's a uh, blockchain that exists that was written and released it exists on many 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 computers and the idea for for a public blockchain like that was that they wanted money to be able, be able to go around the world and be shared by people without having governments in the middle so if you look at a global blockchain you know you want to send a thousand dollars you know you you convert a thousand dollars to Bitcoin and then um, you record uh, the thousand dollar record of, of your purchase of a Bitcoin, almost like a, like a coin, like a gold coin, is uh, recorded in the ledger and then you have a percentage of a BTC. 
in your in your wallet in your digital wallet and so now you're walking around with something that's digital but it's almost like you bought a gold coin and you bought it on the market on the, on the global market and you didn't have to go through the United States dollar or you didn't have to go through the Russian ruble to have it so a person in Russia could buy a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin uh, with their rubles and a person in the United States could buy a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin with their US dollars. The same with someone in India, they could use rupees. And so these three people now have bought one Bitcoin each. Let's say Bitcoin's $1,000. So they all own a Bitcoin. And now they can go on certain exchanges and they can um, purchase things with it. So it's almost a currency, it's like a coin. And you can go into, uh, you know, you can now buy Tesla with Bitcoin. So a Bitcoin has increased in value. It's gone from, you know, about thousand dollars while I've been watching it to forty two thousand dollars so it's gone up by 42x 42x is, is the word that's used and now you know a Tesla costs about forty two thousand dollars you could buy a Tesla base model 3 for forty two thousand dollars so now I can go take my Bitcoin that's appreciated and send it over to Tesla on their website and I can have a Tesla delivered to my home so Bitcoin is actually a currency um, and there's you know Bitcoin is a little bit slow uh, there's a mining process that uh, people talk about. You can actually, uh, there's computers that can work and build uh, Bitcoin. It costs a lot of electricity to do it. But at the exchange of a $42,000 coin, you know, a lot of people are, are mining Bitcoins. And there's, there's a formula in there um, and there's a limit. Uh, one of the things that Bitcoin is really, really popular for is that governments print money to oblivion. The United States has printed dollars but Bitcoin cannot be printed. It has to be worked like gold and mined. And then once it reaches a certain limit, there will no longer be any more Bitcoin available to anyone. It will completely stop. It will become a rare commodity. And so right now in the world, we are at 18 million Bitcoin circulating and um, it's going to go to a 21 million Bitcoin limit. And once that limit is reached, uh, the formula prevents it from being reached but it'll be reached in the year 2040. So by the year 2030, 2027, uh, which is you know around the corner for us, Bitcoins are gonna start to get harder and harder to acquire. And so the supply is going to slow down and the demand is going to increase. And so we will see uh, projections of people saying that each Bitcoin is gonna be worth uh, $100,000. When I uh, first got into uh, cryptocurrencies at that time, you know, I bought a Bitcoin for $3,400 and now it's trading at $42,000. I never thought I'd see the day that quickly, but it's here. And so $100,000 seems like it's around the corner, especially if you're looking at the global geopolitics of what's going on. Um, in the top 10 currents, cryptocurrencies, if you go to Yahoo Finance now, you'll see that cryptocurrencies have their own tab on Yahoo Finance. And so these things are becoming very legitimized and a lot of people are speculating on them. So there is a list, uh, it's called the Cryptocurrency Exchange. Uh, you can go to Yahoo Finance and click, click on Cryptocurrencies. And at the top, there's uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I just wanted to highlight um, Ethereum today also. So there's a lot of talk about cryptocurrencies, but they're not all currencies. Some of them are actually stock. And um, one of the things that happens with, uh, with um, Ethereum and Bitcoin is they get confused. 
So Ethereum is actually something very different. Now you can buy one Ethereum, it's called ETH, ETH, for $3,130. And uh, when Bitcoin was, was uh, a few thousand dollars, Ethereum was trading at $70. And now it's $3,130. But Ethereum, if you click on the uh, cryptocurrency uh, about page of, of, uh, of Ethereum, you'll see that Ethereum is actually a, a, a global software uh, which is, you know, kind of a framework or a template software that allows lots and lots of things to be built on it. So uh, Ethereum is not trying to be a cryptocurrency, even though it's listed in the cryptocurrency exchange. And the reason is, is because this is more uh, because it's more on the exchanges and it's more about about um, uh, fintech financial technology. They've created this exchange. It's almost like the Dow Jones or the Nasdaq. So the cryptocurrency exchange holds two very thing, two very different things at the top, and this is, I think, a very important distinction. The number one thing at the top is Bitcoin, and the number two thing at the very top is Ethereum, and they're traded. But Ethereum was written by a Russian software developer, um, and it was written for one hundred fifty thousand dollars. And basically, what it is, it's it's software. Uh, it's almost like a Google Doc. It's a very flexible. Uh, software that you can write other software on. So Amazon is going to use Ethereum uh, for some of their payment systems. Uh, they bought, uh, uh, they actually created some domain names called AmazonEthereum.com. So in the future, there's going to be Amazon uh, when there's different kinds of payment methods through uh, uh, digital exchanges, Amazon's gonna have an exchange that uses Ethereum. It's almost like uh, a template that you can build uh, apps with. And um, a lot of people talk about other things. They'll talk about NFTs and definance in the financial tech world. And Ethereum is the one that's going to be used. So projections are that if you buy Ethereum, one Ethereum, which is trading at $3,100 right now, I've heard people who are buying it, who are studying it, who are excited about it. They believe that one Ethereum is going to be worth 14K. So that's another four and a half X, four and a half times increase of your money. So there's a lot of speculation going on. Of course, your money can disappear in these exchanges. Um, so a lot of people uh, buy it on these exchanges and they hold it or they download it to what's called a digital personal wallet, it's like a USB card. Um, and so, you know, that's a little bit about cryptocurrencies. And if you look at the top 10, top 10 exchanges, top uh, exchanges of cryptocurrency, you will see that Bitcoin is there, uh, Ethereum is there. And then the other thing that's confusing is this thing called USDT, US Digital Tether. And the, what it is, is it takes your $1,000 from the bank and it turns it into uh, $1,000 USDT. And then when, the, when you need to buy Ethereum or Bitcoin with it, then it converts it to the currency. So it's kind of an intermediate digital dollar. That's third because it gets so much action. And then after that, there's Binance, there's, which, which is a, uh, a coin, uh, USD coin. And then the fifth or sixth one after that is called XRP USD. So now uh, Ethereum is listed as Ethereum USD. Uh, Ripple is listed as XRP USD, but the coins are listed as Binance coin and uh, Bitcoin. 
And so again, you've got these uh, stocks and software companies that are listed not as coins, but as, as their company name with the USD at the end of it. So you, you can actually make that distinction pretty clearly on the cryptocurrency page on Yahoo Finance. So it's something for you to you know, understand and consider. Um, and so you know, what I would recommend is, um, there's some other ones, I'll name them. Uh, there's Avalanche USD, which is a software company because it's not a coin. And then there's Dogecoin, which is about to be a coin. And, uh, and there's also Shiba, uh, which is listed on there. And what I suggest is that when you click on these, you can actually go onto their own news pages you can read about them, and you could try to figure out whether they have partners, they're legitimate partners. Um, there's a lot of speculation. There's five, 6,000 coins. One of the things um, that I mentioned is that today I could get a website and I could create a um, Muslim Econ Hub Clubhouse coin, and it would be sold for you know one penny a share, and people will come and buy it. You know, People will just speculate that it's associated with Clubhouse, and maybe I have some Clubhouse partnership, and I. I clearly don't, I'm just a user. Um, and uh, people will come and buy it. And then, you know, you can get rich off of it if it goes to five cents, some other one, somebody else comes along and wants to buy it for five cents. And then you've five times your money and you're like, look at this, I'm a great investor. And really what you are is you're speculating on complete junk. And so what I suggest people do is stay up in the top 15 coins if they're going to invest. Uh, to read a thousand words to five thousand words about each coin before you invest, make sure that they have partnerships. Make sure they have a legitimate business use case, meaning they are being built for some aspect of business. Um, some some coins are, are are not coins; they're software, but they're built for gaming. They're built to allow gamers to exchange currencies on the on the web, and one of the famous ones is called I think ST steamer or something like that. Um, there's another website that's alternative to Yahoo. Uh, I'm sorry, alternative to YouTube, because YouTube is doing censoring. And there's a web website called BitChute. Um, it's kind of like Vimeo, and people can post content and YouTube videos there on BitChute. But the idea here is BitChute's kind of like Reddit, meaning people can upvote the best videos. And so, um, uh, on, on those exchanges, people are also exchanging money. So you can send a dollar through their software called Steamer and you can give someone $5 for making a good video there. So the idea here is to take your dollars and use them with cryptocurrencies and turn it into a financial instrument and turn it into, um, use it, use it to uh, pay someone else. And so Bitcoin is doing that. Um, Ethereum is building software for financial tech. Steamer is building, uh, allows you to share dollars amongst uh, other people on the web. So they have different purposes. And so that's kind of all I wanted to say about cryptocurrencies today. I didn't want to make it too long. The three most important concepts, and I'll summarize here, is that blockchain is actually a technology. It's a database. It's a, it's a chain ledger database. So it's blocks of chains that are strung together and created. Um, and then they're sealed because they record information. So that's blockchain. And blockchain is the technology which makes uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum and Ripple possible. And uh, Bitcoin is a actually a coin. There's a Litecoin, there's a Binance coin, um, and there's a Bitcoin gold. 
So these are actually um, trying to be coins. They're trying to be currencies that can be used to pay each other. So it's called financial technology and fintech, and they're known as currencies because you can pay each other with them. And then there's another group on the crypto exchanges, uh, which are software companies. And you by buying them, you're actually buying a coin. So it's extremely confusing that they're using the same word. But when it's a software company like Ethereum, you're actually buying a share. You can't buy a Tesla with Ethereum. You have to sell your Ethereum to dollars and then send it to Tesla. So in essence, it's working like a share. So uh, be careful. Uh, not all cryptocurrencies are actually currencies. Not all of the coins are actually coins, but there's two distinctions. There's a currency like Bitcoin and there's a software company like Ethereum. So anyway, I wanted to talk about that, but you can see now that these global money exchanges are really, really flexible and they're in people's pockets and governments are building things around them. So there's a, a Bitcoin ruble. So they're, they're making a digital ruble for Russia and there's a, 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 a Bitcoin type uh, currency for China. It's called the Ramimi or the Yuan, Y-U-A-N. Uh, there's a rupee in India. And a lot of countries are, are, are building these uh, cryptocurrencies. And so now when America has gone to war and they're using the dollar and the, the, the dollar is the world reserve currency and the SWIFT system, which is their banking telecommunication system, and they're locking Russia out of doing any uh, global exchanges of dollars, uh, I mean, of, of their currency, because Russia has to sell oil on the world market and they can't use the SWIFT system to sell it to England, to sell their oil to China. Um, they closed the front door, they closed the SWIFT door for, for this uh, money exchange. And Russia, of course, is a very um, important, a very large country. And they do $50 billion of transactions per day on the global market. A lot of it is oil, a lot of it is lumber, copper resources. They're a very resource rich nation. Um, as you do this, you should pull out the, the, the map and you should look at how large um, Russia is. When the Tsars were uh, ruling over Russia um, and all the Eastern Slavic states uh, were part of the Russian Empire all the way to Germany, uh, from Germany all the way to the tip of Alaska is Russia and all the way up into the Arctic Circle and it borders with China. Um, Russia was, was one-sixth of the world's landmass. It's, it's literally the, the size of old Russia is almost the size of the African continent and, uh, or the South American continent. So we have to respect the size of that country. And we have, they may not have the military force and the F-15s and the technology that we have, but they have a lot of neighbors now that are depending on them for resources. And if, they're gonna, if we're gonna lock them out of this $50 billion of trade, they're gonna knock on their neighbor's doors and say, hey, there's cryptocurrencies that we've been working on for years. Let's open up these software wallets that we've got and start exchanging dollars. I'll sell you oil for a digital ruble through a yuan. And we've been, they've been bypassing the dollar. So I wanted to kind of... Um... Interesting, uh, and to that point, I dug up a tweet from a UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, who says, uh, who early in the year uh, named his, uh, you know, the top five uh, things we should be fighting for around the world right now. Um, number one, fighting COVID. His number two, ahead of tackling climate change, was transforming the global financial system. Number two, 
transforming the global financial system, then tackling the climate crisis, putting people at the center of the digital world and delivering sustainable peace. But let's hone in on that transforming the global financial system. What does that involve, Willem? What well, does that mean? Um, I published the big reset in 2004, 14, sorry, and um, came to the conclusion, actually it was printed on the back cover around 2020, we need to change uh, the international monetary system. We need to move it to the next phase. I call this a monetary reset. Uh, and we've seen, I, I, we've seen many signs pointing towards this monetary reset. And the example you, um, you just mentioned is very interesting because if you look into his speech, he actually said COVID-19 uh, also exposed deficiencies in the global financial system. To tackle these weaknesses and integrate the global financial system with other global priorities, think climate change, uh, the UN proposes holding summits every two years, uh, summits of the 20 leading economies. So this actually tells you he wants to organize a new Bretton Woods conference with the leading 20 companies, uh, countries around the world. And this reminds me of the IMF, which published this new website or part of their website in October 2020, calling for a new Bretton Woods moment, but not telling us what this was all about. And mm -hmm. it also reminded me about a speech given by uh, Janet Yellen, uh, or it might have been an interview. And the Treasury Secretary said, um, we should be prepared to build a new global economy from the ground up in a new restructured world. And then we had this speech by Mark Carney in Jackson Hole in, what was it, July, August 2019. And he called for a global monetary system to replace the dollar, according to the Financial Times. And this speech is still on the website of the Bank of England. He was the governor of the Bank of England. He's retired now. And he also said, Mark Carney, there will be a change in this unsustainable monetary system. And, and I follow many of his speeches because he is on the forefront of this uh, movement. And he had another speech in 2020 in which he said the world needs a new sustainable financial system to stop runaway climate change. So we have mm -hmm. so many signs now pointing towards a monetary reset. And I think the, the current crisis, we spoke about crisis in our last chat. We, yeah. we mentioned 15 crises. Well, we have a refugee, a refugee crisis now in Ukraine, in Europe. We have a commodity crisis. We have a food crisis. We have an energy crisis. And, and this will increase the pressure on the system, on the financial system, and will put pressure on authorities to come up with, with, with a reset, with another system. But then you will enter into a fight between the West and the East, and then it's, it, it, it's getting scary. Let's bring it back a second, because you just said a lot of important uh, things right there. And then I'm going to get to my big question for you. Yeah. Um, what would the new Bretton Woods look like? I studied a lot of academic papers. And if you study the speeches of Mark Carney, because he's been a front runner on this, actually he proposed in Jackson Hole that the successor for the dollar should not be one currency, but should be a digital currency, a synthetic world reserve currency, he mentioned it one day. 
So um, you might be aware of the SDR, which is the currency basket of the IMF. In the currency basket of the IMF are five currencies now, the dollar, the euro, the pound, the yen, and renminbi. The renminbi was added in 2015. So there you have a currency basket which, which could be used as a new world reserve currency. But imagine that all these five main currencies have a digital, uh, a, a digital form. So the central bank digital currencies have been rolled out in a few years in China, Europe, in the US, uh, Japan, uh, and the UK. Then you can build a digital mm -hmm. SDR and, and, and ask everybody to download the new digital SDR wallet. And we, we might call it the Bancor. And, and you just made me think of another point because I had Jim Rogers earlier on um, this week and he was saying how the US dollar is now being used as the weapon of choice. Choice. We see the financial uh, sanctions uh, you know, being used as weapons. Well, won't this force countries like Russia, China, Brazil, whatever, uh, to say, well, we don't want to rely on the U.S. dollar anymore? Oh, yeah, th this is this is the big the big problem now. And um, in the epilogue of the big reset, um, I came to the conclusion that a monetary reset could be organized and we could see a smooth transition as long as we have all major trading blocks so from the east and the west um, it, it come together and came to a joint conclusion but if the east and the west don't want to walk the same road then then you can end up with war and what do we see now we have a war actually between the east and the west because if you look at the sanctions uh, the sanctions are being presented here in Europe and I think also in the US that the whole world is using sanctions now to punish Russia. But let's look at the countries who are using the sanctions. It's only the West, it's only Europe, the US, Canada and Australia. That's one billion people. And all the countries from the BRIC, the BRIC countries, Brazil, um, India, China, if you look at the Middle East, they don't jo don't join us in these sanctions. And that's six billion people. So you have six billion people who don't support sanctions and you have one billion who are supporting right. well, sanctions. Well, 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 they would say because they don't hold the power, right? To well, oppose those sanctions. The, the Saudis hold a lot of power. <laughs> um, and, and what's very interesting, the Saudis didn't want to answer a call from Joe Biden this week. This was published in press reports. The Saudis said they want to diminish their investments in the U.S. And the Saudis are still talking with Putin, just like China and India. And remember, we once saw the video footage of the, um, the leader of Saudi Arabia high five, giving a high five to Putin during a conference. Yeah. So I can envision a scenario in which the petrodollar deal where oil is being traded in dollars to support the US, the petrodollar deal could fail. And once Saudi, Russia and China agree on a new oil trading system, then, then things get very interesting very, very rapidly. Now let's, let's connect the dots here because we started by talking about the crypto regulation landscape that's being paved here in the US, right? 
the move towards a digital dollar, digitization, uh, also in the fight, you know, to, 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 to help fight climate change. Let's connect it to what's happening in Russia, Ukraine now. And my question to you is, is Ukraine a fast track to the reset? I think it is. And what's not being discussed that much in Western media is that from the US point of view, Ukraine is the big prize from a geopolitical point of view. And I don't know if you are aware of the Heartland theory, which was written down in 1904 by Sir John Mackinder. And what he, what he said that it's so important to control Eastern Europe. Actually, he said, who rules East Europe commands the Heartland. Who rules the Heartland commands the World Island, World Island being Eurasia, the continent. And who, who rules World Island rules the world, commands the world. So this Eurasian landmass, which runs from actually the Netherlands to Vladivostok, that's four or five billion people. So if they, if there's if there's peace and happiness on the Eurasian continent, that's a big risk for the U.S. So uh, we also have the former security advisor Brzezinski, who was the security advisor for Jim Carter. He, he wrote a book about this, The Grand Chessboard. You can download it for free. That The PDF is online. And, and he said the U.S. should always make sure that there is chaos in Central, um, in central uh, European, um, uh, the continent. So study the U.S., study the actions of the U.S. They invested a lot of money to have this revolution in Kiev in 2014. And, and well, I'm, I'm afraid that the U.S. isn't, um, the, the Europe, Europe has the pain of this crisis again. And, and in a way, the U.S. Uh, enjoys it. So there's a lot to pack there. Um, I just wanted to give a very credible uh, listen to an interview. And he mentioned at the end, he mentioned this very important concept which is going on, meaning if you look at uh, Sweden all the way to Cambodia and you look at Saudi Arabia all the way to the tip of uh, Russian Alaska where they meet, it's the largest land mass in the world. It just, we don't look in the United States, we don't look at the sheer size of what's going on and respect the sheer size of what is going on. Uh, economically and you know economics is made up in the world by resources because we are people who consume and so we have to have copper zinc nickel uh, lithium you know all these things that that are so important but we don't respect what's called the world island the world island is the from the tip of Sweden all the way to Cambodia all the way from Saudi all the way to the tip of Russian the, the where Russia and Alaska almost touch uh, that is really, really a huge island. And he made this thing at the very end. He said, whoever controls Central Europe controls the world island. And whoever controls the world island controls the world. And so now the United States is off on one side. And of course, you know, after World War II, the United States emerged as the world superpower. And that's because the World War, uh, the, the, the folks, the Russians, the, the Germans, the French, the Europeans, the English, 
they had just beat each other up to smithereens. Uh, they were they bombed each other up to smithereens, and so they were being rebuilt. So the United States was became the seat of the United Nations, and the World Bank was also located there, and then the IMF was located in uh, you know neutral Switzerland, and so they had come up with these financial and political uh, organizations to rule the world. But the United States has had a pretty good run, and you know we we are the seat of technology. Our technology is ahead of everybody else. Um, and you know, people have there's a lot of theories as to why America emerged with such great technology, but at the same time, you know, United States is off on the other side of the world. We participated in the war. Our corporations like Westinghouse and General Electric made a billion dollars each on the World War II. And when everything was rebuilding, you know, we had the funds to and the stock markets for the money to come into, and so we've had a good run. And you know, we cheated a little bit. We had the Bretton Woods with Richard Nixon. He took the dollar off the currency exchanges. Uh, we used oil, the OPEC oil crisis, to create the dollar as the world reserve currency that all petroleum is bought from. So we gave ourselves a couple of turbo boosts, and we've had a from 1945 on to 2021, 2022, I'll say. We've had a pretty good 60-year run at the top of this food chain. And so now what's happening is that we've opened the door for um, what's going on in the world. We've, what's going on in the world is that um, Russia and China and everybody have been really, really interconnected. And so this guy mentions this thing called whoever rules World Island, you know, rules the world. And we don't rule World Island. The United States doesn't. We have a lot of bases. We can uh, uh, bomb people back into the Stone Ages, but we don't rule World Island. There's a lot of cooperation going on. India, China, Saudi Arabia, Iran, uh, 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 Russia are all cooperating. And you know, if, if Saudi Arabia is not taking Biden's calls, then I think Saudi Arabia knows who, where the future lies, right? Where the, where the growth is. And so this is called, this is being referred to as a, basically the death of the financial dollar. And the Americans are asking, what does that mean? And there's been this thing turned, tossed around for a while. There's, it's a, it's a global financial reset. And the other thing that this person spoke about is the fact that the United Nations has COVID as number one, but it has um, financial fintech, financial technology advancement, and getting people uh, internet connectedness as one of its five top main um, goals. So there's this thing uh, that a video that uh, Prince Charles put together with Klaus Schwab. These two guys, if you go on YouTube and you look up Prince Charles and the Great Reset, it's about, you know, how the world had kind of come to, uh, the world is so interconnected and the parts can uh, affect each other. You know, this COVID virus went all over the world so quickly because we're so interconnected and traveled from airport to airport, city to city, that now we're an interconnected world and we should have a, um, a uh, thing called the Great Reset because of climate change, because of COVID, because of inequality and all these things. And so if you look on the Wikipedia page for the Great Reset, uh, it came out of the meeting, the 50th annual meeting of the World Economic Forum held in June 2020. So this was the really like three months, six months after COVID hit, hit our shores. So June of 2020, the markets had tanked in March of 2020. It brought together high profile businesses and political leaders uh, convened by Charles, Prince of Wales and the WEF, the World Economic Forum, and um, the executive officer of the World Economic Forum is Klaus Schwab. Um, he described three core components of the Great Reset. 
The first involves creating conditions for a stakeholder economy, meaning everybody is a stakeholder in the economy and everybody is affected by the other. The second component includes building a more resilient, equitable and sustainable way. Okay, really great words for people, but you know, who's going to, who's going to control what resilient, equitable and sustainable mean? Um, he says it's, it's a resilient, equitable and sustainable way based on environmental, social and governments, governance, ESG metrics, which would incorporate more green public infrastructure projects and the third component is to harness the innovations of the fourth industrial revolution for public good. So whatever is coming out of technology, we want to make sure we leaders control it. We want to make sure we use it for public good. Um, uh, skeptics of the, um, uh, uh, of the World Economic Forum have spoken. They say that these guys are social engineers. They're trying to control society through uh, non-politically... Um, uh, gained means uh, because they have the power and the money um, and the World Economic Forum states that it sees periods of global instability such as the financial crisis or the COVID pandemic as windows of opportunity to intensify its programmatic efforts meaning don't let a good crisis go to waste you know use every crisis as a window of opportunity, an open window to try to get better and better and better. And you can see that now that we have uh, vaccines coming, you know, it's like, well, how can we make sure that the world is taking them? If, if we've got this going on, how, if cryptocurrency is going to be the next thing, how can we control how the world is, is how it's being rolled out to the world? So I wanted to talk about the Great Reset. And then you mentioned it is that, um, uh, this guy mentioned it in this uh, Stansbury uh, research interview that I played. He mentioned that Catherine Lagarde had said that the future of the world currency may be a digital currency, a digital SDR, which is the special drawing rights for the IMF. And so what we're what we're seeing, um, you know, is is um, you know a little bit of a lot of cooperation, which is good on the climate change front, but at the same time. When you look at cooperation, you have to look at who is doing the cooperating and who is at the head of the body, who's putting themselves in the circle. And um, this guy uh, in the interview also mentioned that there's going to be every two years, there's going to be this G20 and then the G20, which is the global largest 20 countries are going to come together and they're going to create standards and all the other countries are going to have to fall, fall in, in play. Um, and so, you know, we've got this global financial reset. And she asked him directly, do you think the moves in Ukraine are a, a launch pad for this stuff? And he clearly said, I think so. Um, you know, a couple of other references that he made, he made a reference to Zbigniew Brzezinski. He was the, um, he was the uh, Secretary of State under Jimmy Carter, but he was a European and he remembers um, being a child during the uh, Nazi invasion. And he was right there when uh, the Soviet Union and Russia and Germany were going at it. And he basically said that in order to maintain hegemony, which is its predominance in the world, the United States to maintain hegemony, uh, the United States has to constantly create conflicts all over the world and make sure that countries don't get too big. So one of the goals of uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski, and he wrote it in a book called The Grand Chessboard. You know, subhanAllah, he sees the world as a chessboard that he can play on. 
and you know we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only the only master you know you can plan and Allah plans um, but he he wrote this book called the grand chessboard and in it he said that you know his model is not to have large powers uh, superpowers in in America's way they should all be split up and so America spent a lot of money helping the United States, the USSR, break into its smaller states, into uh, Chechnya and Ukraine and all that stuff. We're spending a lot of money. So we're meddling in people's backyards and helping them cut little pieces off and become their own countries. And then we're politicizing them, democrat democratizing them, and then putting NATO on their borders. So this is what's been going on for a long time. Um, the other thing I saw, I got a WhatsApp message from uh, someone that said that uh, Trudeau, the Canadian uh, Prime Minister has this little speech and subhanAllah, he said the same thing. He said, uh, Canada stands with the other nations of the world to build back better. They have this the Great Reset has this little branding thing called BBB. So they don't, use build, they don't use Great Reset anymore because a lot of people are triggered by this term seeing that you know, there's a lot of uh, complaining about the Great Reset and that this is you know, a huge power grab um, even though it says in there is to use global instability to uh, windows to intensify their program at their programmatic agenda. So they say that they're going to use the Great Reset to uh, to do their agenda. But the Great Reset, they're starting to use another another phrase. They're starting to use this thing called BBB, which is build back better. And, uh, you know, I heard Trudeau using it recently. So, um, you know, we in the United States are seeing that. Um, Gas prices are going through the roof. The oil men are really, really profiting through this. Um, uh, Putin is profiting, uh, even though he's in a war, he's basically wanted uh, Ukraine. And the United States move into Ukraine basically poked the bear and to what he wanted to do anyway. And, and Ukraine is a very, very important hub for oil. Uh, it's also a key state that links the Russia to the rest of Eastern Europe and the Europe. And the last thing I want to say is that, you know, this has been going on for years, but the United States news doesn't tell you about it. And there's this thing called OBOR, One Belt, One Road, OBOR, or the One Belt Project or the One Road Project. So China has been building thousands and thousands of miles connecting China to all the Eastern European and, and Western European nations through rail and um through trucking and through routes. Uh, and, um, you know, it helps, it really, really benefits Russia because Russia can move resources around Europe very easily and around China very easily. And then China manufactures everything and then ships all the goods back. So uh, the One Belt, One Road project is also going through Pakistan. There's this thing called CPEC, the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor. And so the United States news doesn't tell you about all these advancements that are going on on the world island that are connecting these uh, countries and making them stronger and stronger and more resilient to the United States. Uh, while the United States public just thinks like everything is the same as it was in the 1970s and the 1980s, those times are long, long gone. Um, you know, and um, so I'm gonna go ahead and end there. Jazakallah khair for your attention today. Um, this leads us all from the beginning of the economic hub talk from discussing the World Bank and the IMF through talking about the dollar, the SWIFT system, and now how the SWIFT system has um, threatened the dollar, and now we've got a cryptocurrency exchanges opened between multi-large multi countries like Russia and China, 
and then now that they've enabled them, they're going around the petrodollar. So now we're talking about the death of the petrodollar. And we're also talking about the implications of this, which is the Great Reset. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a rise and, and decline of empires. And so now there's a lot of talk in the academic and economic and political circles about the rise and the death of the American empire. You know, has America cheated and printed enough money and bullied too many people? To now, you know, we the 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 death of the United U.S. Empire is going to be triggered by the use of um, the death of the dollar, and also the rise of the BRICS countries. The BRICS are the Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And you know, he's he made a great point. He said, "Yeah, the sanctions are supported by one billion people, which is United States, Western Europe, Canada, and Australia. So it's like the gang of four is a billion people." And then the people who are not supporting the sanctions are 6 billion people. That's India, China, Russia, um, and all the trading partners. There's Turkey in there. There's Saudi Arabia and Iran in there. Uh, Iran has 80 million people. Um, so, you know, we've got very large countries that are united. So 1 billion against 6 is not an empire now. It's kind of like an empire on its last legs. Um, may Allah protect the... Um, people from the uh, fallout of war and may Allah protect the people of from the fallout of money printing and economic shenanigans because there's with a with a great run-up there's always a great depression there's always a great recession and may Allah protect us and uh, you know continue to do Surah Yasin continue to do Surah Mulk continue to pray Surah Waqiyah continue to pray Surah Rahman these big five surahs are very, very important in, uh, in our religion. They protect the Muslim, they, they keep him sheltered. Uh, remember to do ayat al-kursi before you go to bed. And um, you know, may Allah protect us all and give us good livelihoods and allow us to build, keep our homes as beacons of light for, the, uh, for our children. Uh, may, Allah, may Allah allow us to hold on to the rope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger. Uh, thank you for listening. I have a few minutes if you guys want to hang on. Um, I can go till 10 if there's any questions. And I'll open the floor if there's any raised hands. I actually don't see any raised hands at this point. It's open to everyone if someone wants to raise their hands. Um, I don't really pay attention to the chat. And this room isn't about attendance. The replays are always on so that people can share the room. People can... Uh, you know, uh, uh, listen at their own convenience. So if you know someone who couldn't make the room today, uh, please let them know that this replay is on. So um, Sister Radia is here. Sister Hadia, thank you for your attendance. Um, I'll wait a few more minutes to see if anyone has any questions. Um, and my brother Eduardo is here as well. So Assalamu Alaikum and I'll end there. Jazakallah khair. Um, thank you. Okay, so if there's no more questions, I'm just going to end with the dua. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim wal-Asr. Oh, there is a, there's a question in the chat. Um, I think it's just uh, saying, Jazakallah khair, huwa'iyakum. Thank you for coming on and uh, go ahead and share the room. As I said, um, the replays are always on. I'm seeing a few more. Um, uh, I have not, uh, one of the questions is, what is the topic for next week? Um, you know, um, I can delve further into the cryptocurrency stuff, which I had promised as a room. Uh, it's the beginning 15 minutes of this talk today. Hopefully it's enough to get people going. Um, be careful crypto investing, right? But then there's also a tremendous opportunity. One of the rules I'll say about crypto investing is if you have money to lose, if you have a portfolio of 
thousands of dollars or even a thousand dollars, you know, you can take what, what the rule of investing is, is that be conservative with 50%, be a little bit aggressive with the next 30%, and then be super aggressive with the last 20%. So that's how you should build your portfolio, especially if you're uh, 15 or 20 years away from retiring, meaning you're going to be investing for 15 or 20 more years. You should do conservative 50%, uh, medium aggressive 30%, and aggressive 20%. And so what that brings you to the aggressive portion of it is that you should be looking at a certain amount of money that you put into cryptocurrencies. Now, Bitcoin is at $42,000, but there's a lot of volatility. So if, you're, if you don't need your money for the next five years, uh, Bitcoin is a great place to go because, you know, Bitcoin's going to go up and down. Tomorrow you'll turn it on and it'll be $38,000 and then it'll be $36,000 and you're going to have a heart attack. But if you're invested for five years, you're going to see that Bitcoin's going to hit 75 and then 100. And, um, you know, there's, use, there's, there's cases and scenarios where people that I really trust think that each Bitcoin is going to go to uh, $100,000 and then eventually it's going to go to half a million dollars for Bitcoin. But that's 2030. You know, are you going to sit in your money? You can sit on your money for that long and may Allah give barakah in it. And then there's other things like Ethereum which uh, when there's a economic, when there's a rollout of, of apps that people are gonna use Ethereum for, Ethereum could go to $10,000. It's trading at 3,000 right now. So you also have to go in, when you go into something, you have to know how long you're gonna stay and you have to know which signs you are to get out. You know, there's a famous song, you know, know when to hold them and know when to fold them. So you gotta know and you have to trust people that say, look, I'm going in and I'm staying in because I trust it, you know, and then you got to know what signs are there to get out. For instance, I joined a, a technology company and my vice president said, you know, we have a great company, but our CEO is not competent. He said the CEO of this company is not very competent. Um, he put his own money in here and he made himself the CEO, but he should not be the CEO of the company. He should be a co-partner. And he told me, he's like, I have a vice president, I have a vice, uh, I'm the vice president of this group. And if I think the ship is going to sink, I'm going to tell you guys to get out. He said, I will tell my whole group, I'm leaving in two weeks, you better get out. Because I know the ship is sinking because I'm sitting around with the CEO and I know we can't do deals. And certainly that day came. So he was like, you're in, but you got to know when to get out. And so with investing, you got to know when, what you're in for, how much faith you have, are you a long, hopefully you're a long-term investor, but there are signs and tremors and earthquakes that happen. You got to know when to get out. So be careful and, uh, you know, seek good advice uh, in, in which, um, in which um, to do it. And so I'm getting some uh, questions here as to which cryptocurrencies to invest in. Okay, so right now people that I trust, and this is not giving financial advice, I'm just telling you what's happening. There's people that I trust that are really big on uh, some people are very, very religious about Bitcoin. They're just, they've bought Bitcoin, they've made a lot of money, so they love Bitcoin, but you know, they're biased. Uh, would they buy Bitcoin at 40,000? I'm not sure. So and there's other people I trust that uh, are not buying Bitcoin, but they're buying other cryptocurrencies. And a couple of them really uh, said, take one third of your money and put it in Ethereum, take one third of your money and put it into Cardano, and one third of your money and put it into Solano. So Ethereum, Cardano, and Solano. 
okay? ETH, comma, ADA, comma, SOL. So each of these has a three-letter three code. Um, and what they said, if you have $1,000 right now, go in there and put it into $333 into each one of these and just sit tight. And then he said, if you have a, another $100, another $100, another $100, just go in all three. Just keep putting in, putting in, putting in. Every month, you know, whatever you want to do, um, that's uh, what he is doing. Um, and again, I'm not giving investment advice. So, but I, I, I do want to answer that question because it comes up so much. This is someone that I really trust. This is someone that has their um, eye on the market all the time. They track it way more than I do and they see the money coming in. And so they're buying um, Ethereum, Cardano and Solano. So I think that that's the question. Hopefully that answers the question. Um, there's another one here. Uh, uh, there's a, should I stay with uh, Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin Gold? Okay. So Bitcoin is, is the main uh, one and it's called the, it has what's called the prime mover advantage, meaning the first one, like, you know, the Amazon, there's tons of Amazons out there. There are tons of Ebays out there. There are tons of Teslas out there, you know, people trying to build electric cars. But the first one that gets it right has what's called the first mover advantage. They got on the hill first and they're the biggest, they can eat other people. So Bitcoin has that advantage, but there's a couple other uh, uh, current cryptocurrencies. They're actually trying to be currencies. Uh, one of them is called Bitcoin Gold. One of them is called Bitcoin Cash. They operate in a similar way. And what they're cashing in on is that Bitcoin will get so hard to get. And Bitcoin is so slow and it's so rare and expensive that these other currencies are gonna take off. It's almost like, well, if you can't get the dollar, well, maybe I'll just buy the British pound. You know, you can still do pretty well. And so Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Gold are, are built off of the same concept as Bitcoin. Um, I think it's a good concept. That's just my opinion. I'm not sure that I'm the biggest person to uh, give that um, green light to those ones. There's also another one called Litecoin, L-I-T-E. The advantage of Litecoin and Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Gold is that they're, they're all in the top 15. They're about in the top 15, and there's a lot of money in there. Um, so, um, you know, they're, they're pretty decent, but I think you should study more and talk to people who really have studied them, not people who love them. There's a big difference between someone who's like all in like a religion. You know, you talk to a Muslim, you're like, hey, should I become Muslim? He's like, yeah, 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 sure. Talk to someone who's a Christian, you know, yeah, 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 come, come, come on, man, let's, let's, Let's go to uh, let's let's go to uh, Jannah just based on the love of Isa Salam. So don't talk to people who are religiously into something. Talk to people who have studied it, and they they'll give you an unbiased opinion of why it's good and why it's not, and what you should uh, invest. You you know what you should be thinking about. Not telling you just to go ahead and buy it. You know if you're going to close your eyes and rely on other people, then you know Allah Subhanahu wa Taala might not give you the barakah that you want from it. Um, so that's my advice. I've got another question going on. Um, no, I think that's it. Sister Hadi has been hit in the chat. You can see those questions there. Uh, she said, Jazakallah. So I'm assuming I answered your question pretty well. Um, I don't see any other questions. So I'm just going to start making uh, closing dua. And, uh, you know, we want to do the best dua for a gathering, which is Wa Surah Wal Asr. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wal Asr. Inna insan lafi khusr. And then I'll end with the salawat. 
Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Jazakallah khair for attending. And assalamu alaikum. I'm closing the room. Thank you.